On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I had the absolute pleasure of chatting uh, with a large group of people, all from Flybar and uh, the companies since that they've acquired. Flybar is, a, they call themselves a 100-year startup, <laughs> or a 100-year-old startup. And uh, man, we just had such a good conversation. In fact, it's such a good conversation, and there was so much stuff that we needed to get through that we decided to make this part one of a two-part series. Uh, so super, super excited about this and really excited for you guys um, to listen. There is just so much jammed in here uh, that you guys are going to get a lot out of. So I hope you guys enjoy. Today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand is brought to you by Mindful Marketing. At Mindful Marketing, they use ads to get you off using ads. Most e-commerce brands rely heavily on Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Twitter, and all the other paid platforms for the majority of their revenue. At Mindful Marketing, they use paid ads to help you build a community of loyal and repeat customers that will exist long after Facebook and Google do. In fact, Mindful Marketing wants to offer you a free e-commerce growth plan that they normally charge $500 for. A recent growth plan customer said, our ROAS tripled overnight after implementing their tactics. These guys are no joke at Mindful Marketing Co. So go to mindfulmarketing.co slash grow to claim your free e-commerce growth plan today. Now on to today's episode. Today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand is brought to you by D2CDesign.com. If you are a D2C advertiser, Fresh Creative is your lifeblood. You guys know that. I talk about that on this podcast all the time. That's why it's critical to have a design team that gets you new advertising content week in and week out at a fair price. We met up with Benson over at D2C Designs and came up with this special offer for you to test out the value of their service. They've generously offered to design one free set of creative ads plus D2C design strategy sessions personalized for your brand. So if you like what you see, give them a test and let us know how it went. Plus, they specialize in D2C designs that accelerate brand growth through conversion and personalized designs across your website, email marketing, social media, ads, and everything else that you need for growth. So head over to d2cdesign.com, that's letter D, the number two, and the letter C, design.com, and claim your free set of creative ads. Now on to today's episode. Today, I have a whole gang of people with me from Flybar, etc., and they're going to tell, tell us all about uh, what they're doing. Really excited to have this interview. I just want to preface this, that we have four guests on today, uh, and this is going to be a two-part episode because we have so much um, to get into. And I, I think that there's going to be a ton of value there for you guys. So without further ado, we're going to start uh, with Saul. Uh, Saul, for people who don't know you and uh, your group of companies, tell us a little bit about who you guys are and what you do. Well, first of all, um, Jordan, thank you for having us. My name is Saul Wallhandler, President and CEO of Flybar Incorporated, the original pogo stick company. So we we have our ups and downs with the pogo sticks. But first of all, Jordan, thank you very much for having us. And I want to just, I saw on your LinkedIn that you're an entrepreneur, you're a cyclist and a paramedic. Interesting enough, I'm a avid cyclist and I'm a paramedic as well. Entrepreneur part, I'm still working on. But okay. That's a little bit about myself. Thank you. That is so, that is hilarious. I actually, uh, as of last month, uh, I officially quit being a paramedic. I saw that. I'm in the burnout phase. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was in the burnout phase for about 12 years doing it. So uh, 
that's that is hilarious. Saul, I'd love to hear the the story um, from your angle of how you guys started because you know the original pogo stick it's pretty cool. Like it's a it's a pretty cool uh, adventure that you guys have gone through. So I, I'd love to to just hear a little bit about how um, that started and some of the growth that you guys have had. So the, the you know the pogo sticks uh, was invented in 1918 and we acquired the company in 2015. So we call ourselves the hundred year old startup. That's what we call ourselves because that's what you know, since 2015, we've been acting as a startup, extremely aggressive, acquiring other brands and growing our, our portfolio. We started with 24 SKUs and Pogo Stick, and today we're all about active play with all, over 400 items in our portfolio. So that's a little bit about Flybar and where we've come from. Super interesting. I find that interesting that you found this brand. Were, were they kind of on the decline at the time when, when you went to acquire them? Or was this something that like, hey... I want to get into the pogo stick world. It's something I've been dreaming about. So it was it was more um, I was looking for a business that I can scale. And when I saw, you know, yes, they were at a decline. They were struggling. They had good distribution and a strong brand in that really niche market of pogo stick. And I saw the opportunity of taking that brand and expanding it into active play, utilizing the strength that they had in distribution and customer trust. I felt that, you know, we can take this brand to way wider than just Pogos. So you started in 2015 with this, by, what, by purchasing this brand. I'd love to know what the landscape looked like then. Like, were you immediately thinking when you guys uh, acquired this, like, okay, we're going to go direct to consumer. Like that's, you know, the, the big focus that we're going to, go with or what did, what did that look like exactly for you guys so i would love for the others to introduce themselves and then because everybody has their perspective as well and i think it'd be valuable to hear other people's perspective and i did not have direct to consumer experience to answer your question directly i did not have direct consumer experience i had more of the product development entrepreneur wholesale side and that was probably one of my mistakes in 2015, not focusing enough on direct-to-consumer or realizing you're investing into that department enough. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that uh, totally makes sense. Well, hey, let's meet the rest of the team um, because this is, this is odd. This is not normally what we do, uh, but I'm very excited and I think that we can uh, get this done. So right below me here is uh, Rob. Rob, do you want to tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. So I joined in, in 2017. I was, uh, my company was Saul's first acquisition, Swerfer. So, so that got Flybar into the, you know, the backyard and the swing business. So now I stay on, uh, stayed on, uh, work as the general manager of our lifestyle brands. So I work on, on acquisitions of new companies, but also manage our, I would say more of our backyard outdoor brands. I, I've got a question for you just specifically since, you know, you introduced yourself here and we're doing things a little differently than we normally do. Rob, what was the transition like from being acquired to now working with the team? Because for, for me, I think I would have a difficult time with that. And, and I know I've, I've actually, one of one of my, my good friends and somebody who's in our mastermind, they're being acquired by a massive company right now. And he's going to have these golden handcuffs for about three years. I would find that difficult. How has that been for you, Rob? And, and just so you know, the other guys are on the call as well. <laughs> you know, I think it, it was unique for me because Flybar at the time was was a startup. It wasn't, you know, like being acquired by a big organization where you get swallowed up and, and you're kind of lost. So it was, you know, Saul needed me as much as I needed him. I had one one item 
and I had a big, big vision, but didn't have like the business experience. I'm more of the, you know the creative, the design, the ideas, but the uh, you know making sure that the, the that we can actually develop these things profitably and and manage the business aspect side of things was what you know really drew me to solve. And so at the time, it was really a very small team. Stalin was was uh, I think you know the first hire. Um, so really, it was like, you know, four or five of us starting a, a, a startup. So cool. Okay, well, I, that's great. Because I, I want I mean, for, for the most part, you know, people who are listening to this podcast are generally, you know, they've kind of got past that sort of seven figure revenue mark trying to scale up. Um, so I think this is kind of this is a cool story to hear because I love acquisitions. I'm I'm doing two of them myself right now because I believe they're just the fastest, yeah. best way to grow. First of all, with talent. Second of all, with distribution. I mean, there's just so many reasons to to do an acquisition rather than start a startup, right? Like, <laughs> I absolutely love it. You mentioned St- uh, Stalin. Uh, Stalin, I'd love to uh, hear sort of what your role has been with all this growth. As uh, Rob mentioned, I was Saul's first hire. And when he said he had that vision of seeing the brand Flybar that had a little niche, but that there was a, ro- a roadmap there. We had met each other through another company and we started talking and he explained that vision to me and I agreed with him. I, I was already working in the outdoor wheeled sporting goods uh, space and I knew that he had the right vision and I think I had the skill set to be able to develop products and market those products and amplify that vision. So it was a really, a really good partnership and it continues to be uh, five plus years later, working and developing products for, for Flybar and all the, the great brands that we develop and those that we acquire as well. Cool. Cool. That's great. Uh, I've got one more person here. Yes. Believe it or not, I have one more. Sergio, uh, tell us a little bit about how, how you're connected here and sort of your zone of genius. Sure. So, uh, so I've been in, I've been in retail for a while and, uh, my last stint prior to joining Flybar just, just under three years ago, I was a buyer for a little over 10 years with Toys R Us. And obviously we all know what happened there, or maybe we don't, but you know, they, they exited the business in, in, uh, the U S they're still, they still exist in Canada. And, I, through a mutual connection, uh, I was at the time trying to decide what was next for me. And I was put in touch with Saul. I believe it was on the day after, if I remember correctly, the announcement went out that we were exiting you know, the US. And you know, we dated, I like to say that we dated for a little while and uh, you know, had some dinner, lots of conversations over, over those two months. And uh, you know, I, I loved his character. I loved what he was about. I loved what you know he was kind of building and uh he convinced me to join the team and uh, it's been the other it's been... side the other side of the story is that i heard that i'm going to be losing a lot of money <laughs> toys r us <laughs> money. so instead of crying i called my rep at toys r us and i said if they're closing there's much must be tremendous talent in that building who can i who can i take out of that building that i'm going to enjoy and i asked him about somebody specifically and he says nah you don't want that person i have a guy for you his name is sergio I don't know if he's going to want to go to you. That was his words. I don't know if he's going to want to go to you, but he is a superstar. So that's, that's what I have. That's the other side of the story. Yeah, this is great. This is absolutely great. So I think Sergio, most likely uh, for everybody listening, this is actually going to be a two-part episode because we've got so much amazing stuff to get through. And in the second episode, we're really going to talk about how they've grown, including retail, right? Because, you know, we, we talk a ton about direct consumer on this podcast, but for me, I am all about building brands, right? Not just selling products. That, that, that to me is not as interesting as actually building brands. And a part of that 
is being in brick and mortar and being in retail and, and those being your partners. And so that's going to be part of the second episode that we're going to go through. Today, I really want to get into what that growth looked like in the direct consumer side, because Saul, you said you didn't have a ton of experience there. Where did you guys start? 2015, you know, things were starting to heat up. Where did you guys start? So the business had some revenue. I came in with an experience. I had a lot of experience in developing products in China. We had my previous company. We had our own plant in China. So I had a lot of experience there, a lot of connections there. So from a manufacturing side, I was pretty set. I wasn't so set on the selling side, but Flybar brought when we acquired the company, as you mentioned before, that, you know, you get distribution. They had distribution. They had distribution at Toys R Us. They had distribution at Sports Authority. They had distribution at Amazon. They had some distribution. So for me, my first step was when I stepped in was like I looked at the company and I wrote my plan. And I was like, what do I do first? My first thing was I set up that my manufacturing is solid, like my you know base of where I'm getting my product from, quality and all that is solid. So I, I made sure that that was good. And then I started looking at going out to start selling, but I re- that's when I realized like you're going out to the retailers, retailers want newness. They don't want an old pogo stick from 50 years ago. That's not what they want. They want yeah. something exciting, something new, something innovative. That's when I started realizing like I need to, and I, I started understanding how they work with seasonality and we'll get more into that, which is important, right? The, what we call the gatekeeper of, of retail. And so that's when I started building out my product line. I hired an industrial design firm and uh, to look at innovating the pogo stick and how do I bring some innovation to retail so that retailer wants to talk to me. What does that process look like going into an, an industrial design firm? Because I'm imagining most people who listen to this podcast have just sort of designed their own stuff and they're like, ah, this is good. Yeah, okay. And people so, buy it. What is that so process like? It's actually a fun process and a very important one if you want to scale for something big right? You can design, you can hit on something and design your own product, you know, on that one hit item that you may be very successful with. But if you want to really, you know, build a business with, you mentioned, build brands and build products that people want and come back for and look, oh, I I know that brand. I want to buy that product. You have to have, and you can do that internally when you're larger and hire the engineering structural designers. And you go out to an industrial design firm, they'll do research on the product. How how is the product being used, right? Who uses the product? Is it a woman? Is it a, is it a, is it a male? Is it a female? Where is it stored? They go through a process that when they develop the product, they're developing the, developing the product to solve problems and multiple problems. And yeah. on top of that, making sure that it's going to look really nice and hitting on those. So what we did is we wrote a product brief of what we want to do. We wanted to innovate and we developed our iPogo Junior. That's one of our items, talking pogo stick, counting and talking pogo stick with them. And it's ergonomic. It talks, it lights up and it, we made it, you know, instead of just being a static, you know, you jump on an item that's active play, we made it a little bit more interactive. So we wrote a product brief of what we want the product, what we want it to look like gave them some, you know, did some research on the internet, looked at some pictures of things that, you know, maybe it was a baby carriage, right? That we said, we love the design look of this baby carriage and we want to interpret it into a Pogos, right? And we told them features and benefits and they came back with like a bunch of different looks and feels. And then they came back with a bunch of different, you know, added features to the Pogo stick, you know, shooting balloons, uh, you know, 
water squirting while you're jumping, a bunch of different ideas that they came back with. And certain things were can be done from an engineering perspective, certain things can't be done. But And then as you, you scale down and you also have to think about the retail price, right? That you, you, know, you can't add a ton of features to every item because that obviously it becomes, you know, it's not affordable anymore. So yeah. we went through that process, you know, months of, you know, research, then design and then refining the design, refining the design. Once we get to a certain point, that's when you go to structural engineering and that's when you take it to the factories and you start building out the product and marketing. Okay, nice, nice. I'm sure people are, uh, you know, who are listening to this right now are thinking to themselves like, oh, maybe that's a good idea for, because a lot of people, they found a need that they had, right? They're like, oh, okay, oh, I, I'm gonna solve it with this problem, with this product. And they did well. And now it's like, well, customer lifetime value really matters and you, you need to have some other products to offer to people. So I think that's a great route to go. So let's talk online now. I'm imagining that this business was not online whatsoever before you took over. Is that right? Not so. It was very, it had their own website, you know, very small volume, like drip, you know, almost nothing. And Amazon.com. And then there were some other dot coms that they were doing, that they were doing drop shipping for, but not in a big way. And there was no focus on, you know, the content that we're providing online, right? Like they just had their old pictures and that's what they put up there. And so, you know, once I started seeing the direct to consumer route or, you know, e-commerce, let's call it, I started putting a little bit more effort into it. But again, I don't think I put enough effort in. Like looking back today, one very important thing in e-commerce that you don't have in retail, and it's a difference between e-commerce and retail is your reviews, right? If you have an item, if you get a review in 2015, that review still gives you value in 2021. And that's an extremely important thing to realize. So what you're investing in when you invest in e-commerce today, right, you're investing for tomorrow and for possibly in 10 years from now, because if that product lifecycle is still going to be here in 10 years, your value that you're getting today is still going to be there in 10 years and probably going to be 10x or not more, right, in 10 years from now. So I didn't realize I didn't put enough effort in. I was focusing more on product development and the retail side, getting into the Walmarts of the world and, you know, getting our product placed there. That was 2015, 2016, 2017 looked. And then later on, I started realizing like, you know, I started seeing the Amazon world going so, you know, how their growth and seeing what effort Walmart was putting into their dot com and seeing our own dot com growing. And that came with acquiring Swerfer. Swerfer.com was doing a lot better than Flybar.com. And we were a much bigger business than Swerfer. That's when we realized that we need to put effort into our direct to consumer site. So I'd actually, if you don't mind, Rob, I'd love to, to tap you on this question here. How had you grown that brand that then was acquired? How, how had you done that online? And, and what sort of things did you bring in to really help the growth of, of the entire company? Well, I, I think, you know, for Swerfer was was different that just the nature of the product is not typically a, an item that you find in retail, a swing. There's not really, if you think about, is there a destination to go, if you wanted to go buy a swing, would you go to Walmart? Would you go to Dick's Sporting Goods? There's, there's you know, would you go to Lowe's? So there's no one out there that, that uh, you know, really specializes in that. And most of the, the, the swing business is done online. So we naturally kind of gravitated towards that. We tried the, we got established in retail just through specialty retail, you know, small stores across the country. And, but then, you know, what we learned, like, like in markets where there aren't a lot of trees, you know, the product didn't do well. And so, I wouldn't even think like, of course, that totally makes sense, but I wouldn't have thought 
that. Is that a specific, like, are there specific areas like of the U.S. that are just aren't as treed as other areas? I guess the desert. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, the, the, uh, and it's not just trees, you got to have, you know, the right tree. You have to have a tree that has a, as a branch, you know, redwoods aren't great. Pine trees aren't great. So, so it was very limited to, you know, the forested areas. So like like our sales, if you, if you look at, you know, our sales by, by zip code and overlaid that with like a map of the U S where forested areas, I mean, it was almost identical. So a lot of that business, you know, people that have swing sets and, you know, and, and, and other things they, they buy online because stores in those areas don't carry those products. So we invested early in, in getting on, on, uh, on Amazon, walmart.com, and, and then swerfer.com as well. The other thing I think that is unique is when you have a unique item um, and people are, are searching for it, it's much easier for them to, to find your website. You know? So, you know, and by name. So they're looking for that organic or organic search. So that's, I think, a, a key thing early on too, is, is really establish your brand and, and the product identity. Absolutely. I mean, exactly what we were saying before, right? That brand really is king in the end that, you know, people, if, if you can get people ser- searching for that specific brand name, rather than just the product category, you're going to be, you're, you're going to win every single time, right? Like similar to like, Hey guys, let's hop on a zoom, right? Well, mm-hmm. you know, there actually before Zoom, there was Google Meets and Hangouts and all these other places, but they've tend they've kind of been the one that's the the Goliath now that's sort of taken over this whole area because I like similar to Google, right? You Google things, right? You don't necessarily Bing things. <laughs> right. And and so if you can you can be that brand, I think that it's inc- it's incredibly important. I'd like to hear from someone else on the team here. How do you guys balance your marketplace being in marketplaces, right? And them having all of their own incentives to sell your product versus your own website. Does does somebody want to step in on that one? Yeah, I, I can step in on that. Look, at the end of the day, that the balance is definitely hard and it's easy to it's easy to look at your your distribution of business and kind of say, hey, we're gonna put all of our resources here and and kind of the way we approach it. And it's been one of our evolutions uh, as a company, certainly when you look over the hundred years and very brick and mortar focused then e-commerce, then a pushback to retail, now a pushback to e-commerce. It's definitely been a balance and it's it's a struggle. It's a push and pull struggle almost every day. And I think where we end up going back to is we want to be where the customer is. And that's kind of the philosophy that I push with the team is let's identify where our customer is going to be and let's make sure we're there. So and it's, it is somewhat of a platform agnostic approach where it's more about, hey, be where the comfortable is buying, your, where the customer is comfortable buying your product, right? If they want to support you as a business and they want to buy from Flybar or Swerfer.com, great. Let's make it easy for them. If they really love Amazon as a customer and they're only going to spend their money there, then we need to be there or vice versa, right? Walmart. And, you know, that's been the philosophy that's kind of driven us to also be in brick and mortar, right? If they don't shop a lot online and they want to shop in store, then how do we make sure that our product is there? So that's kind of the way we approach it, you know, right or wrong. And again, it's always a constant debate because, you know, Rob just mentioned a couple minutes ago about, you know, the tree thing, right? And, and do stores carry it? So naturally, some of our brands and some of our products make more sense on e-commerce. So as we look at our portfolio and we start to look at kind of the traits of each item and the traits of each brand, there are definitely brands that are more e-commerce friendly, 
you know, maybe too big of a box for retail. And there are items that maybe are going to work really well in brick and mortar because they could use that traffic and their low price point and low, low price points are very hard on e-commerce. So it depends. And, and look, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that it's something that, you know, we probably discuss maybe not daily, but every other day, or I mean, as recently as yesterday, in fact. So it, it's definitely something that we're, we're always talking about. And the right answer is it depends on the product and the item and the brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you guys found any unique marketplaces that maybe people don't know about, especially in the in the toy space? Or are we just talking kind of the big like Walmart, Amazon? Anyone want to jump in on that? The toy business is largely, you know, we, we, for the most part, operate in the toy business and the toy business is largely dominated by Amazon, Walmart and, and Target. Uh, have we found any unique places? We, we've had we've actually had some some retailers reach out to us in the last 12 months that either, you know, that are not necessarily in our categories online or that don't even really have an online presence. And obviously, given what's happened in the world in the last uh, 12 months, I think a lot of different companies, uh, you know, specifically retailers, are re-looking at their channels of distribution and, and how they get in front of consumers. So some retailers that historically haven't depended a lot on e-commerce are now looking at it to say, okay, how do we really, I mean, it, it's 2021, you, you could say it's late, but you know they're thinking of that way and and they're reaching out. So I would say that's probably what I, what I've noticed over the last 12 months is people that we wouldn't have historically thought about are a lot more engaged with a lot more appetite to open up new uh, categories of business. Yeah, yeah. I, I we've noticed even just up here in Canada a bunch of new marketplaces that are just slowly uh, you know coming up, especially from the big retailers, right? Are most of these relationships with these marketplaces drop shipping relationships where you guys are, are doing the shipping or, or are they actually making like big POs? I would say we're doing a little bit of everything at this point. You know, a year ago, definitely a lot of drop ship. Obviously, when you think about Seller Central, you know, there's a 3PL there. That's, you know, Amazon's acting as a technology platform in a 3PL. But in 2021 and, you know, whatever today is April, uh, April 8th, I mean, we do a little bit of everything. So, yeah. We this is all we do. Um, when, when we see something picking up in a bigger way, then we have we're a small enough, big enough company that we can tell the retailer at this point, you know, bring in inventory. It just makes more sense for them and for us, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, also, if you don't know the volume necessarily that they're going to do, and then you have this drop shipping relationship with them, I imagine that that's a, that's a difficult place to be in. I've got a, another question for you guys, because I can't believe the amount of information that we're, we're going through today. And we actually don't have a ton more time on this episode. I'd love to know what's working marketing wise for you guys online. So we're going to talk all about brick and mortar next time, right? This time, I just want to, I want to focus on that. What's working marketing for you guys? Where are we at? So Sergio, I'll answer that. So right now we've over the last couple of years, we've invested heavily on some of the marketplace platforms and advertising there. And I think the, the big advantage there is your bottom of funnel. So it's very, very much conversion driven, although it's interesting because the narrative has changed a little bit in the last couple of months, year, two years, particularly when we talk to Amazon and you know, Amazon over the course of time has become a search platform. 
and a yeah. lot of consumers start their search on on Amazon. So you do have a lot more uh, top of funnel behavior on Amazon. And so I think Amazon realizes that. And, and there is there is a bit of a concerted effort on their side uh, to capitalize on that, especially as they try to compete with with Google. Uh, but for us, I think, you know, our big thing right now that, that we're heavily focused on is really our brands. You know, uh, marketplaces are very dynamic. They're very evolved. They're very competitive. You know, you have of Chinese factories and in many cases selling on the marketplaces because of the, the its ease of entry. And so brands, you know, brands reign supreme. And we're spending a lot of time, you know, in the last couple months, uh, in particular the last couple of weeks, really honing in on our brands, the messages that we want to get across on our brands. So that way, you know, when they think of something, right? An example would be when, when they think of jumping, they think of fly bar, right? If yeah. I want to have fun and I want to jump on something, I think of fly bar. When I want to swing, I think of Swerfer. And so we're looking at our, all of our different brands and really looking at how do we get that across and how do we get that across, you know, top of funnel so that way we drive brand awareness. So as you look at when they decide where to go and where to shop, they're looking for us in different ways, right? If they're searching just, hey, I'm looking for a toy, you know, how do we show up? If they're looking for a, a gift, in our, in our case, in our industry, how do I show up? And then equally as important is if I'm thinking of a specific item, did I create that association for my brand? Did I create yeah. that thought? And if we're doing a good job, which, which is kind of where we're driving towards as a company is Flybar is a core brand. Masters of Bounce means jump. Swerfer means swing. And when we want the consumer to think that, so that way when they're thinking, hey, I need something for my backyard, I want to lounge or I want to do an extreme swing, I'm going to think Swerfer and I'm going to go search that. And Absolutely. then whether they, regardless of where they search, search you know, tying it back, regardless of where they're going to go, we want to be there. So, so that's where we're really spending a lot of time. And no, number one, it's great because we want to create that brand association and, and leverage the fact that we've been around for a hundred years for all of our brands. And secondly, we just want the consumer to think about us and drive impressions, right? And drive traffic to wherever the customer is going. And that becomes a really important piece no matter where you are. When you think about you know being online, like you want people to search you. When you think about bringing in store, you want people to recognize your brand. And the buyers and the gatekeepers of the world, they think about that. You know, They think about why is the customer going to be looking for your brand in my store. Uh, so it's really important across the board. I just wanted to add to that, you know, equally is it, are, are the places like, like, how do you get that brand message out? And, you know, who is your core customer? Is the mom your customer or are you going after the kid? Are you trying to build that brand, you know, with a kid on TikTok or YouTube or with for a younger age item, you know, are you trying to build it on Instagram and, and Facebook? Are you trying to who is your audience? And, and just as you want to be where your where your customer is online, you also have to be where your customer is, you know, from a marketing standpoint. Absolutely. Guys, I'm so sorry. We have run out of time. Um, Stalin, I wanted to, we'll, we'll hear from you next time. I'm really looking forward to the, the next episode. So stay tuned. Uh, really, I, I just can't wait to hear about the brick and mortar. We're going to sort of finish off what we're talking about uh, on the next episode as far as digital is concerned, really building a brand and being everywhere where your customers are. So guys, thanks so much for your time today uh, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So 
If you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.